You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Brother Andrew passed away this about the last two, about two weeks ago, I guess. He was the guy, the God smuggler that took the Bibles. It was kind of interesting, those people in Russia, you know. The reason they got Bibles, he was the one that started that. He, he had a little Volkswagen, and he'd load it up and take Bibles across the borders and stuff. Great book, real easy to read. It's called God Smuggler about Brother Andrew, and he just passed away, 94 years old, and a good man of God. You know, who's going who's gonna to take his place? Who's going to be the smuggler, you know? Who's going to take the word where it needs to go? I, uh, let's see. That's enough. That's enough announcements. Thank you, Amy, for that. And um, I wanted to talk to you about something that it was just kind of interesting that, you know, of course, we had a funeral a couple weeks ago. And then, and then after the funeral, one, a man came up to him and he said, he was asking me these questions, you know, um, you know, it, does, does Bob, where Bob's at, does Bob have a body? And I thought that was kind of a strange thing to ask in that moment, you know. And, uh, you know, he wanted me to outline it for him right there. And then we're still having, you know, there's other people and people are like, hey, Pastor Dale, can you go, you know, turn the air on or whatever. They, 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 they run me around a little bit, you know. And so I talked to him as long as I could, you know. And uh, without it, it uh, but he had a lot of questions and I thought they seemed really simple. And I answered him as biblically as, um, as I could in a short time, you know, maybe five minutes, six minutes of trying to go through a couple things. And... Um, but I'm not sure that he was so satisfied with the answer. We talked about about a month ago, a month and a half ago or so, um, Jed preached on the living God. And the fact that we don't serve a dead God, but we serve a living God. Um, he's not a wooden idol. He's, he's an ongoing God from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. You don't think about eternity as today, but it's, it goes, you know, you see the line. It would just go forever as far as it would go, and it would go forever as far as it would go. But there's no as far as it would go. It just keeps going in eternity past as well as eternity future. And then for God, this living God, he's looking at all of time. This is hard for us to, to gather. But he's looking at all of time, all at one time. And he moves men and incorporates men and does whatever. If you're talking about a Russian president or whoever, um, man makes his plans, but God directs his path. I mean, he, you can think you're, you're coming up with stuff. Um, but he's got it all there. And the thing is, is that um, he's concerned, which is so incredible, but he's concerned. We read that in Psalm 33 this morning. He's concerned with the individual workings of individual men. He created in, men individually, different spirits, each person a, a little different. And, um, and then he, he intervenes on men's behalf on top of that, both as he goes before the God who goes before, but also in the immediacy when we pray things that are, when we're in that moment of, of peril or we're in that moment of prayer or whatever, and he actually listens to our prayers, he stores our prayers, he keeps our prayers, he answers our prayers, and, and they're important to him. So, and last, he prepared a means of saving men dead men, making them spiritually alive, uh, spiritually alive so that in the future they can dwell with him. So once a dead man could now be made alive and could, he, he prepares a place in eternity future. He, plays a, uh, he has prepared a place in eternity now, present, 
where if you died right now, you would be with him where he is. It's hard for us to, to figure this out. Men have spent a million lifetimes trying to figure out what it means to die physically. Where are they going to end up? Are they going to end up in torment or Hades or paradise or heaven um, or nothingness? The, you know, the atheist view of you just die and that's it. I had two uncles thought that way. And then that, that question of do, do we really have a body? And, and like I said, in talking to Jed after that, I was telling him about that guy, and it almost seemed kind of humorous. We were talking about this, a couple of different things about this, and, and he was talking to some, oh no, Strong was telling me about his daughter was going to, she had mentioned the walls of Jericho falling down, and these were girls that she was talking to, girls that she, that went to church growing up and things like that. And they were like, what are you talking about, the walls of Jericho? And so, I mean, these were church-going girls. They had been in Sunday school. They had been all saying, they didn't know about the walls of Jericho or Daniel in the lion's den or David and Goliath or just stories that we would consider common, common knowledge. And, um, and that's a tragedy. So I've, in thinking about that, I do try to, to, to I don't, don't want to say come up with, I try to preach things that are relevant to people right where they're at today. And I really think that, you know, salvation is relevant to people today. People say I talk about it too much, but it's relevant. If you're not saved, it's super relevant. And if you are saved, there's a way you should be living, and that's relevant. And I think this is relevant. Having an answer to the question, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I wrote your verses down for you here. I'll move my giant head, and you can write them down, or you can take a picture afterwards, but... Um, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify your hearts, uh, sorry, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. To sanctify, what does sanctify mean? We know this one. To set apart. So this is sanctifying. I'm, I'm going to sanctify my Bible right here. I got the platform and I'm going to put my Bible over here. I'm going to set it apart from where I'm at. I've sanctified it. I, I put it in a special place. It's an interesting little blip there that you've got to catch before you can apply the second part. Sanctify your heart. You've got to have a little special place, should be a big place maybe, where Christ resides in you, a holy place, reserved for him, reserved for his spirit to speak in you. And in that in that setting apart in the special place it allows him a place to speak from a tabernacle within you so to speak where he can speak through you through your spirit as you speak to others about the hope that's within you always be ready to give a defense to everyone and and um i will say that as the older i get and the more i've read the bible that i have better answers than i had when i was young and i didn't have that many answers and i've told you before one of my greatest shames was and I, I just this guy i was in the marine corps with he came and visited me and he experienced some of these um times with with me but the one time was was this guy asking who is god and then he died in a helicopter crash about 10 minutes later and i knew i had to answer i was going to try and get him aside later you know talk to him one-on-one -on -one, not embarrass myself but the point is is that i didn't really have the answer i just had a better answer than the guys that were in there you know i wasn't reading the bible that much at that time but I had a better answer than them because I'd grown up, gone to Sunday school and things like that. A lot of unsaved guys in the military. A lot of people from all over the world were in the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps would take you from anywhere, and if you graduated boot camp, they'd make you an American citizen. So we had, I mean, we literally had people from 
Saudi Arabia and Iran, Persia. We had people from Indonesia. Everywhere we went, somebody spoke the language. It was incredible. We went to Thailand one time. I thought the guy was a Mexican guy. He was from Thailand. And he pops out and starts speaking Thai, to, and they used him as an interpreter. It was amazing. As somebody, we had Filipinos and Polynesians and Chinese and Japanese and, and, and Hispanics of all flavors. And um, I, th I thought all the world of Spanish people was, was Mexicans. And I didn't realize that they were all different flavors, sabores. All different sabores, the Mexicanos. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of different flavors of Mexicans, like people from Venezuela and people from Chile and people from Puerto Rico and people from Spain. Just because they speak Spanish doesn't make them Mexicans. And it, I really, I had to experience that. And in that, I should have had an answer for all, all those people. One guy was a white guy. This really threw me off. And he told me he was from Florida. And we were on an Amtrak one day, and he said, he said, um, who is Jesus Christ? I think I've told you this before maybe, but he said, who is Jesus Christ? I'm like, Jesus, man, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, died on the cross. He's like, what? He had been raised in Saudi Arabia and in the Netherlands. He had no accent. I thought he was from Florida. He's a big, tall, white guy, blonde hair, blue eyes. And he had played um, like Olympic-level volleyball in Florida. And um, how did I know? The guy? It just blew me away that, that somebody that looked like me essentially could not know who Christ was. And I didn't have a full answer prepared, and I tried to give it to him as best I could. But I was so corrupt in my own uh, lifestyle and my own um, person that I didn't give him a good answer. But uh, he did marry a Baptist lady, so that's good. So I, I want to use as few opinions as possible to answer these questions about what happens after you die. Um, but the Bible says that in the abundance of words, there's sin. So that goes for everything. That goes for conversations. Sin is falling short of the glory of God, right? Missing the mark. So I don't want to miss the mark much. Um, I'll try to use as few opinions as possible. But the reality is there's some things we don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know and what God's word says, and we'll go from there, okay? Be merciful to me if you disagree in a fine point. We'll talk about it later, or maybe not at all. There's a number of places in the Bible. I want you to go to Hebrews. We'll go to Hebrews 12. I wrote it here. Hebrews 12, 22 through 29. We're going to start there. There's a lot of places in the Bible. I'll give you some, I'll give you some pointers, and I'll tell you what you need to do about it. One is in Isaiah. There's a lot in Isaiah about the millennial reign of Christ, about heaven, about God's requirements for man. There's a lot in Psalms. There's a lot in Revelation. There's a lot in First and Second Corinthians, and there's a lot in Hebrews. Well, there's just one chapter in Hebrews, okay? Did you catch all those? Psalms, Isaiah, Revelation, Hebrews, First and Corinthians. That's your, that's your go-to spots if you want to search out this more and see if I'm telling you the truth. But we're not going to cover all those, but I just want to make mention of where they're at so that you can go and discover those things Hebrews 12, let's go to 22 there. But you, he's speaking to a certain you. He's speaking to believers in Christ, okay? Some in Hebrews, primarily Jews, that have reckoned Jesus as Messiah, okay? But still, you, you count as you in this verse. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they do, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake, not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So here we go. The first is you. The first point of this scripture is you. You, through persecution, old age, or whatever, or bad health, and this is, you may not know this, you're going to die. You're going to die. 100% chance. Guaranteed money. Your only hope is that Christ returns first. But even in that, there's some aspect of the tribulation, I believe, that we'll experience, and you will experience hard times, you'll experience persecutions, you'll experience whatever, danger, peril, sword, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors to them that are in Christ Jesus, right? You're going to experience those things. You're going to die. I pray that every one of you die in your sleep peacefully after a large fried chicken dinner and, and whatever, a romantic evening with her, your wife. You know, your kids surrounding you and you just go to sleep. Not everyone dies the same way. Some people die terribly. Some people die gently. But you're going to die. But that person who dies, that's in Christ, you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God. So the first thing is, it's a place, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem it's called, and to an innumerable company of angels. And it describes it further, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Your name written beforehand in the Lamb's Book of Life. Very important that your name be found written in the book. Very important, and that's up to you on this time before you die, because you're going to die. So make sure your name's in the book. Make sure you have the scroll in your hand to present at the gate. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So the first thing you need to know is you're not in heaven now. A lot of people, there's a, there is a view that God's millennial, Christ's millennial reign exists now and that we're a part of it. And that he sits on the throne since ever since he was um, slain on the cross and then he was resurrected. His millennial reign began at that time or became in whatever time. They have different dates they give. But um, I can assure you, you're not in, here's my best proof that you're not in heaven now or this isn't the millennial reign. If it was, you'd be a way better looking person than you are. Um, there would be no storms that completely destroy every man's possessions. There'd be no, no sickness. There'd be no crime, no sin. And uh, so to think that we're already in this millennial reign would be incorrect. It, this is after you die. There's a place that we go after we die. That Revelation uh, chapter 20 and in Isaiah, it's all over Isaiah, these different um, times. I would give you the list, but there's, there's just many scriptures in Isaiah talking about this time of this millennial reign and what it's going to look like. Um, 
it actually implies, not to get too far in there, but that it implies that man still has volition during the millennial reign and that at the end there'll be a test and there'll be some men that reject Christ even though he's there sitting on the throne. It's, it's incredible that if you had perfection and access to Christ in this physical sense where you could go to him and present your, your, your issue, um, that you would still reject him, but they will. But in this heavenly Jerusalem, you'll have a just and perfect spirit. Hebrews 12, 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. A just and perfect spirit. And here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch a couple things. This is the first big thing. I probably got one other big thing. And this is the first one. This is key to understanding what happens when you die. Wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Well, how's it go, Aubrey? She was sleeping. Wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Okay? The part of you that makes you you, that makes you different, um, that makes you unusual compared to someone else. We can look very similar uh, to other people. Uh, we can, there's other people say, man, were you in so-and-so? I'm like, no, I had that a lot in the Marine Corps. Man, I, there's a staff sergeant looks just like you. I'm like, that poor fella. <laughs> I bet he's lonely. But uh, th- there's people that may look like you in one form or another, but we read again, like I said, in Psalm 33, if you want to go there, you can find this where it says, he individually designed you, each person, individual. So you could look very similar to another person. Maybe you've got a different freckle in a different spot, but you're different from everybody else. Your fingerprints are different. Your retina is different. Your footprint is different. They solve crimes by a guy's naked footprint on the floor because it's completely different from everybody else's footprint, fingerprint, thumbprint, your eye, your DNA is completely different from every other human being on the earth. You're completely different in design, but it's not your DNA that's your spirit. Your spirit is what you are. So the, the guy asked he, this guy the other day, he goes, well, what about his body? Well, what about his body? If your spirit's in your body, then that's where you are. But if your body's in the grave, you better pray that your spirit's not in your body. Your spirit it does not go with the body. It can be in the body, but it doesn't go with the body. The body can be dismembered. And your spirit does not get dismembered. Your spirit is complete and whole in a single entity. And that's the trick. Where your spirit is is where you are. Not where your body is, but where your spirit is. Wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. The Lord, I I think in reading this, I hate to say I think, in reading this and going to Matthew where you see the graves open and the the dead people getting up walking around, that's a one-timer right there. In general, the body, this body, is not what's resurrected. Now, you can argue with me on that if you want, but I can take you all over the Bible and show you it's the spirit that is resurrected. Man, you don't want this body anyway. I mean, look at it. Who wants it? I might have wanted it at 22, but now, man, this thing's a wreck. What if he resurrects me to my old man body? Limping around heaven. Look at, look at Hebrews, or I'm sorry, we're in 1 Corinthians now, 15. Man, I thought, well, I could just read this part, but then I read more, and I was like, no, I should read them this part. So I'm going to read you the whole shebang right here, starting in verse 
uh, 19. Verse 19, and we're going to read to the end. It's a little long, but um, you're sitting in at rest, so you can snooze if you need to. It says, verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men, of all men, the most pitiful. If, if the only time we have Christ is in this life and then we die, and that's all she wrote, then we're to be pitied. Verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his foot. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is exempted. This is speaking of Christ, all things put under him, except for God the Father. God the Father never goes below Christ. Um, now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? Focus now, people, focus. And with what body do they come? This answers the question. Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another fish, another birds. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. There's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven, is the Lord, sorry, from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Lot, lot, lot going on there. We're not going to cover all of it or even much of it. You can, you can discern with your spiritual eye what it says right there in verse uh, 38 or from 37 through about 44 about this body spiritual versus body physical. Body um, supernatural versus body mortal. Body mortal versus body immortal. That might be better. Body natural versus body supernatural. There's two different kinds. God gives it a body as he pleases. Not the same kind of flesh. It's not earthly flesh. Celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. Um, so also, 42, is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's put in the ground and the worms eat it. But it's raised in incorruption. It ain't the same thing coming out of the grave that went in the grave. It's the spirit. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Um, go to 2 Corinthians 5.8. In 2 Corinthians 5, you find a similar idea, but it's, but it's written in a different way. In verse 4 it says, For we are who in this tent grown, this, this body, we groan. This body is not much good. If you don't believe it, uh, I can affirm to you that a kidney stone will make you groan. A bad tooth will make you groan. A bad knee, a bad back, um, losing your eyesight, whatever. A, a myriad of things that happen to the body will make you groan. This is not where it's at being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he has given us the spirit for a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. From the presence, the true presence of the Lord, we're absent from that in this fleshly body. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, both good and bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we, we are well known to God, and I also trust well known your conscience. Verse 8. We are confident, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So the first thing that must happen, and it already did, was Christ was risen. And, and there, here's where I'm going to give you a, a, a tiny bit of opinion, only because I believe that as people, as humans, we, we think similarly on this. I, I think as a human, I like my flesh. I don't like how my flesh looks. I wish I... I wish I was more athletic or more handsome or more capable or more able or better at math or whatever. But I know what it means to live in my flesh. And I don't know what it means to live in a supernatural uh, spirit as a supernatural being in heaven. I've not been there. I haven't seen it. I don't know it. 
I only know what it's like to be in my flesh. I don't know what it means to live outside of my current status, the way that I am. And, uh, and like I said, I only understand what I've experienced so far in my existence. We all, we all do. And we think, well, in confidence, we would say, well, I'm not afraid to die. But then when that moment comes, I'm not afraid to die because I know I'll be with the Lord. And then um, I uh, was driving a tractor one time, and there was an incline. I thought, well, I'll just drive down the, the incline with this bush hog behind me. I'll just drive down it. What I didn't realize was I thought the incline was like this. Turns out it was like this. And so when I got the front tires off, the tractor just went straight down, and it... <laughs> And it caused me to sum up and take the steering wheel right in the gut, knock the wind out of me, and I thought, this is how it goes. This is how I die. And I will tell you, there was a moment of terror there when I was thinking about that bush hog eating me as I went under that thing. However, when I stand here right now, and it's all peaceable, and we got air conditioning and so on, I don't really consider the, the strain or the stress of dying. Even, even in the military, we got shelled a number of times or rocket attacked or whatever. I didn't, I was like, I never thought, well, this is how it ends. This is how, I never felt that way. But it was in those, those short moments of terror when things are going uh, negatively. Um, BJ was telling me about going into a surgery and, and then not feeling like she was prepared. She thought she was until she got there. And then she was like, oh, I'm, I'm not ready. Because we don't know. We don't fully know. And we can't fully grasp what it means to pass from here and to dwell there. We think we can. We can read about it. We can pray about it. We can have visions. We can, we can have a vision of Christ welcoming, welcoming us or whatever. You can have these things, but we don't know. And what we don't know, we fear. And um, we know what we look like in a mirror as we stand there, but we don't know what we would do will we look similar in our resurrected body we don't really know but i'm going to tell you this um first corinthians 15 gave us a lot of information to encourage us that you will receive a spiritual body here's something else i wanted to tell you before we get too crazy is we will be recognizable and this is what i told this man is that we'll be recognizable to one another and this is how i know because if i went to first samuel 28 Saul goes to that witch at Endor because he's, he's, things aren't going well. He wants to know how this war is going to occur, and he's lost Samuel. So she conjures up Samuel somehow, and he actually appears before her. And she flips out, and Saul kind of freaks out. They, Samuel was dead. Samuel was gone. But the Lord allowed him to present himself before Saul and this woman, and they were both able to recognize him as Samuel. That's thing one. He was recognizable even though he was no longer on the earth. So he had some form that was recognizable by people who knew him before. Another one I'll tell you is Luke chapter 16. And uh, you might disagree with me on this, but you can be wrong if you want to. The, the Lord, in speaking the parable about the rich man and Lazarus, if you go back and really research his parables, you'll see that he's talking about actual people that they knew. It's what got them so frustrated when he talked about like the vineyard owner and different things. They're like, yeah, we knew that guy and he was a jerk, you know, or when that other guy came in and, and did him wrong. He's talking about the rich man and Lazarus. He gave Lazarus a name. It's a man. It's a person like Melchizedek. It was a person. He had a name. He had a place. He was a knowable person. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't have gave him a no. He'd have said, the rich guy and some other guy. And then he brings Abraham into the mix. So they, had, they knew of Abraham, though they had never seen him. They knew of Lazarus, and they knew the rich guy who humiliated him day after day or walked by him and never served him. They were able to recognize each other in eternity. And in Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Christ, we have Moses and Elijah show up. None of the apostles had ever seen Moses or Elijah. But when they saw them, they knew who they were. And they immediately began to want to do something for them in seeing them. They had a, a body, of a physique of some sort. They had something that they recognized them as Moses and Elijah. And then we saw the glory of God on, on Christ, and they were able to recognize him there. But then in Luke 24, you have the road to Emmaus, and this is real interesting. We have a couple things that go on there. With Mary, she immediately recognizes Christ. When she tries to grab him, he says, don't touch me. You ever catch that? Why? Because this is the glorified body. This is not the corruptible body. Don't be corrupting me with your stuff. You're a nice lady and all. Back up. But then on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with these men, right? He begins to speak to them. And it's not till he fully reveals himself to them that they're like, oh, it's him the whole time. I can't believe we were walking on the road with Christ. I can't believe it. So he, there was some aspect of him that they knew that they should know him, but they didn't fully recognize him until he revealed himself to them. But even later, when Peter, when, when he's on the, on the shore, they see him, and they're like, is that him? I'm doing my Loretta thing. Is that him? <laughs> Loretta does that. She gets nervous. They're like looking at Jesus going, is that him? And, uh, and, and then he's like, you know, cast on the other side. It is him, you know? They were able to recognize him in his glorified body that he still possesses today in heaven. He's not a vapor floating around. He has a form, a body. And so in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joshua, Jacob, in Revelation with Paul, with John, over and over, you see these guys meeting these supernatural beings, angels, God himself, the angel of the Lord, or whoever, and they have a form. They have a body. And these men are able to recognize them for who they are, whether it's the spirit speaking in the man to the, to the angelic being or Christ or whatever. They're able to communicate in this way. And like, if, if I never had met, you know, Ken or Jed before, but we're both believers, right? We're both in heaven. We never met each other before. I could walk up to the guy and, hey, Ken, how's it going? <laughs> huh, Ken, yeah, that was a little name badge, a little holy name badge there. Kin, yeah, mechanic kin, whatever. Um, you'll be able to under. I don't know why that is. I can't explain it, but I can tell you that you got a body of some sort. It's a spiritual body. It's different from the physical body. Would you, on your best day, would you really want the body you had here? On the best day you ever ran, the best race you ever won, the best thing you ever did. Would you really want that body? that was corrupted from the vile things from before and would be corrupted by the vile things after. So the best answer I can give you to give to someone else is this. Wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Okay? Number two is you'll have some sort of recognizable body, but not the one you have now. 
It'll be whatever the form is that your spirit is in. And number three is you won't really care because you'll be with Christ. This is the thing we've got to remember most. To be absent with the body, it says right there, is to be present with Christ. Your spirit, present with his spirit. The worst part of the whole ordeal, I'm telling you, is getting from here to there. Because we don't know what the, what the doorway's like. One of the really good um, C.S. Lewis books was The Final Battle, when, they're, when, the, when the children are kind of, they're, they're all going to pass from death into life, into eternal life. And they're in a war with this evil, the, the, the a supernatural evil force. And when they walk through this door, they're sword fighting and whatever, and then they walk through the door and they're in eternity. They don't know how they got there. They just passed from death unto life. And everything was more green and more beautiful. It was the same place, only better by a thousand times and more, more bigger and more higher and more wonderful. And they couldn't relate it. They couldn't even hardly remember how it was before because they had passed from death into life, truly alive. And, in, in, and people would say, well, that doesn't really answer my question. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It doesn't answer my question. What about my body? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's where faith comes in. Faith comes, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by the study of the word of God. Faith comes just like you had faith when you came in. Um, well, if you came in early and you turned the lights on, that the lights would come on. Or you had faith that when you sat, hovered over the chair, you never met the guy that built that chair. He could have been missing an eye and, and you know, can't weld and whatever. And, but you trusted that that chair is going to hold you up. Or your car, you don't know what those jokers were like at the Ford plant or whatever. But somehow you trust to get in your car every day and drive it somewhere. You need to have at least that much faith and trust in the God who makes the promises of uh, there where I, the, uh, that where I am, you will be also. And I go to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would have told you. Or before you were... Um, uh, I knit you together in your mother's womb or I chose you before the foundation of the earth. I mean, if you, can, if you can trust on any part of that, you can trust in all of it. And you don't have to know what your future body's going to look like. I will say, take in some care with this one, young people, because um, it's going to have to last you till you croak. But outside of that, it doesn't matter because where your spirit is is where you are. And you've got to remember that part. And if you're truly, truly, like, worried to death, concerned about eternal things, then go back to that First Peter verse. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. Sanctify the Lord your God in your heart. Set aside a place for him in your heart. Number two is begin to study to show thyself approved unto God. Read the Word of God and study the Word of God, and it will give you hope. It will give you faith. It will take away fear and will enable you to live more freely. And number three, the Bible says, he will give you the desires of your heart. And what will happen is the desires of your heart will change, and you will have a peace with God in time, now, and a peace with God in rest in eternity. That'll be the desires of your heart. And you'll quit trying to hold on to all the stuff here so bad, and you'll be free to embrace him and desire that. That future privilege, then, of being absent from the body and to be present with the Christ, it signifies something. If you, kinda, if you go to that scripture and really dwell on it, you can go look it up, see if I'm telling you the truth. But that dwelling with God, dwelling with Christ, it means like living in the same city, 
having direct access to or making a home with. That's what it means, dwelling with. So you'll have, um, we, we're not, we're not, we're kind of dwelling with one another here, but when you're dwelling is where you dwell at, in your house, right? That's why you know your family better than you know people outside your family. You kind of think you know people outside your family, but they put their best face on in public, right? But in the house, that's where you can really know them. To be absent with the body is to be present with Christ. You can really know him. You can know him now, but you can really know him. You'll have access to him that you didn't have this side. You had it, but you didn't know how to access it. You didn't know how to, to put it into play. You didn't know how to organize it or administrate it in this life. We don't because we're covered with flesh. So that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For it is in death that I gain the truest access to him. So if you're going to ask me, if you're going to hold my feet to the fire and say, do I have a body in heaven? Yes. Will I be recognizable? Yes. Will it be better than this one? Hopefully. Better looking? Hopefully. But also say, it's an irrelevant question if I'm saved. The question is, are you saved? If you're saved, if you've accepted Christ, that means the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That spirit interacts with your spirit. And when you die, that spirit is immediately with the Spirit of Christ. Amen. And that's, that's all there is. You will have passed from death into true life. One with Christ now, but not completely understanding it, to one with Christ, like if, I'm, if, if Jed was sitting right here, and I was sitting on Jed's lap with my arm, that kind of closeness, and I'm not trying to be silly or trying to speak lightly of Christ. You'll have the access to the most high God that you've always desired but didn't even know that you desired it that much. But when you're there, you'll want it. And you'll want to be close. And you'll truly understand what it means to be alive in a bodily form. The Bible says no earthly man can see God and live. You've got to die to see him. To truly see him. To truly know him, you've got to die. In this verse where it says in 1 Corinthians, it says the heavenly man the heavenly man, the heavenly man has access to the most high today. Not to the extent that he will when he's truly heavenly, but he has it today. Um, and when you die, you'll be more alive than you ever were on earth. You'll be a heavenly man in heaven. So you'll shake off all the earthly man problems. So I, I got another message on this. We'll go deeper on it next week in, in a different direction, but similar because I think there's more we need to grab. But if you had to talk to somebody today, and they said, well, well, because um, a lot of people wonder this. this. This guy I was in the Marine Corps with, he was there. He goes, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had the same problem. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't know who I was. Because when you ask them who they are, you're a Marine or, or Alva there. He was a corpsman. Who are you? Well, I'm a corpsman in the Navy. That's who you are. What you do is who you are. With men, that's just how it is. Women, a lot of times, identify themselves by their children or by their husband, by their family. But it's a wrong way of measuring things, and this guy was really struggling with this. And I had to tell him, where your spirit is is who you are. What your spirit is, that's who you are. That's because it travels. It gets going to be here, it's going to be in hell, or it's going to be with Christ. And it's really dependent on stabilizing that. So if someone wants to ask, well, if I die... Where will I be? You'll be wherever your spirit is because your spirit is you. So that's a good answer to that question. And then you can help them identify what it is that they're missing in their spirit that keeps them 
uncomfortable and fearful in where they are. Well, what if I die? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's too much. Will I have a body? Yeah, you'll have a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15. You should go home and read that. 2 Corinthians um, 5. So you can give them a place to go, okay? All right. Father, this morning as we come together and study your word and read your word, I pray that some peace was given to those that are here today, maybe even without hope. I pray that they have peace as they think about loved ones that have passed away or, or as they worry about their own self, that you would give them that peace that passes all understanding because you'll demonstrate your love to them that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us that you would provide a, you would provide a um, substitute on our behalf so that we could have a spirit that was like yours so that our spirit could converse with your spirit. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us, for your creation and your power, your goodness towards us. I pray for these that, that they would be bold knowing that where their spirit is is where they are and that they could tell someone else about the hope that it was in them, that they would, they would recognize and they would take personally that verse in First Peter and they would make it theirs and they would begin to apply that to their life. Thank you for your care, Lord. Be with us now as we break bread together this morning and um, enjoy um, good fellowship among God's people. In Jesus' name, amen. So before you go, um, Jed, Jed said the reason we had so few this morning was some were drinking like on, on uh, Gideon, you know, some lapped and some... Uh, drank on their knees or whatever. Some brought it up to their mouth. I guess we just had the lappers today, but I'm glad you're here. I pray that the word that was spoken was the word for you, and I pray that you'll use this and tell others about what was spoken this morning. Try to encourage people with that, okay? God bless you all. We'll see you tonight at 6. Be there, be square.